This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Well, hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with just me, uh, Chris Hall. Today, uh, Pete, unfortunately, is uh, is at work during the time that we're recording, um, so couldn't join us uh, for this one. But the, re- the reason that I'm on today is we've got a very special guest with us. We are joined with uh, a, a member, a former member of West Bromwich Albion's Academy. I do say it quietly that he is now employed across the other side of the black country, um, but we won't hold that against him. I'm very delighted to say we are joined by Mike Scott. Mike, welcome to the pod. Yeah, thank you for uh, inviting me on. Um, good, good podcast. Excited to be uh, on it. My pleasure, mate. My, my pleasure. And to be fair, uh, the, if after after Keith Downing broke down the uh, broke down the walls of having uh, having uh, ex Wolves employees on the podcast, you know, it's uh, it's just the floodgates have opened. So we're we're, we're delighted to have you on, there, mate. But I mean, first of all, if you just because. Obviously, you know, um, I'm, I'm sure you won't hold it against me saying, you know, a lot of the work you do is probably behind the scenes and, and, and maybe Albion fans won't be as familiar with, with your role as somebody like Keith, who obviously took caretaker charge of the seniors. Could you just give us a quick potted history of your of, of your time at the club, what what your roles were? Yeah, um, I had a mixture of roles. I think I did every single role at the football club uh, when I went in there in 2008. Um, I first went in to, to do the head of head of education. I think it was head of education, head of sports science. And I was I was taking an age group as well across that, that period. Um, I was in charge of doing the welfare um, and digs for, for various different players like Sido and George Thorne and stuff like that. So it, it was... Before the EPPP days, it was almost like you all mucked in and did a, a mixture of everything, really. And all staff were doing sort of dual roles. Um, so then, yeah, I did I did that for a, for a few seasons, then and moved across to head of education and, and a youth uh, development coach, uh, which was working across the sort of nines to to sixteens program. And then 
eventually I, I moved into sort of leading the um, youth development program, which was like the 12 to 16s program, really, uh, which I did for seven years, developing a lot of a lot of players that are probably in the first team now or, or have gone across the first team during that period between 2008 and 2019. Um, and I then, as I say, got the opportunity in my final sort of season to lead the 18s um, sort of programme and, and, and sort of manage the under-18s. So yeah, the number of roles really across, across the sort of 11-year period, I think it was. I mean, we highlighted this one when we spoke to Keith. When you go through uh, championship, in particular, squad lists, it's it, it, it it's almost it almost seems like a given that at some point you're going to trip across an Albion youth product. I, I mean, it, it's so impressive because so many, academies don't, don't, you know. I mean, people will say, okay, well, a, a lot of Albion player Albion academy products didn't make it into the Albion first team. Unfortunately, that's the nature of being in the Premier League because it's a lot harder to give youth products an opportunity because you know it, it's just the amount of money in the of being in the Premier League drives that a little bit. But so few academies actually produce such a volume of not just professionals but professionals who are playing to such a high level in the championship league one and others that have then climbed the ladder back into the premier league like chrissy wood how proud does that make you to see that uh, that volume because i i imagine you find it almost hard to go to a senior game in in the the top three divisions of english football without coming across a player that you've worked with there, there was a lot of players across obviously the period I was I was at the Albion. Um that, you know, you probably saw at the start of the journey in two thousand eight, like, you know, George Thorne and Saido Bruno and and there's a there's a load of them like Remain Sawyers from from certainly that first cohort that I came across, um, which was obviously Michael Appleton's um under eighteen's team, which was a fantastic team and even people like Kamar Roof who who've gone on to do really good things. Uh, Paul Downing, there was, there was a lot of good players, um, really, really strong squad when you actually look at it. And all of them from that sort of 2008 to 2010 cohort and Chris Wood being part of that as well, who, who's gone on to do unbelievable things. Um, they've all they've all made a real good career in the game. Um, and, it, and then obviously you then start to, to go through the other years. Um, you know, there was a number of obviously debuts that were... That, a lot of players took, you know, at young ages at 16, 17, 18, which in itself is a, a massive achievement. So I think the likes of Tyler Roberts, Lico, um, Carl Edwards, Sam Fields, you know, they all, they all made debuts under the age of sort of 18, along with people like Raheem Harper, Kane Wilson, um, Nathan Ferguson, Morgan Rogers. Um, there's so many, so many good players. I've probably missed a few off there. They all made debuts for the football club during that that period. Myself and, and all the other staff were there, but they're, they're all having careers in the game now. Um, and the, and then as I say, the interesting one is actually some of them who finished in the game now starting to have a career in coaching. So I was on a PFA um, workshop the other the other week delivering for the PFA, and in, in the room there was two Albion ex Albion players in there. So there's Callum Pritchard. Who, who, who I worked with at under 16. He went through the programme to under 18s before moving across to uh, America to do a scholarship. Um, and he's, he's come back into, into the coaching. And then obviously George Thorne, um, which is brilliant because I hadn't seen George since I was at Derby. So um, George is obviously now taking taking up the, the sort of coaching, which 
I think you'll see a lot of these players that I've just mentioned there, they'll, they'll probably go into coach at some point because of the Albion Academy was, was so good at developing players and coaching players. I mean, just just a quick word on George, because I mean, I, I obviously I was at the, the football club at the same time as you and I had the pleasure of working with George. And I think if some if somebody said to me from my time at the club, pick, a, just name a player who could have been in your eyes, whatever they wanted to be, but just got so unlucky. I think George would be the one for me that because that I mean he had everything. He was tall, he was strong, he was great on the ball. He could defend, but he could he could score goals as well. But just had a couple of absolutely horrible injuries. And I I, I don't know about you, Mike, but I look at George as a wow. What might have been in terms of a, a career? Yeah, I mean he, he had a, he had a decent period at Derby, didn't he? Um... I think, I think he obviously he, he was one of the standout players in I think one of the playoffs um, during, during yeah that when they lost to QPR um, with the Bobby Zamora goal yeah and then obviously then, he then had a, a I think a serious injury and I think he had then another serious injury um, but yeah he he was certainly I mean just that cohort you know that, that, if you want to call it that Michael Appleton team cohort you know that there's just so many good talented players in there you know that. You know, it's like Saido Barino, you know, I mean, he was he was outstanding, you know, for the first team during the period when he when he broke broke in. Um, you know, and it was worth twenty five million pounds at one stage, wasn't he? Um he got the England caller under Roy Hudson and he was flying and all the rest of it. And you, you sometimes think, well, maybe if you'd had that opportunity of a move, because um, I think at the time there was talk of him going to Tottenham, wasn't there, or something like that. But I think it was yeah. during the period where I think there was uh, the the January transfer market. It was, it was kind of a case of, well, we need his goals. We need to keep staying in the Premier League. I think it was at the time when Jeremy Priest was maybe looking at staying the club at the end of the season. So it was like, can we stay in the Premier League? Um, so you know, you got players like that that you think, well, what what could they have been? Uh, George certainly, you know, for me was one of the best midfielders I've seen um, across my period of time that I was there. Um, you know, there, there was quite a few good midfielders that come through. Even like Sam Field was another one that, mm. you know, when he broke into the scene, I mean, I remember him playing two outstanding games under Gary Megson uh, before um, and Pardew took over. Um, you know, so you got prospects like that, and he's doing well at the moment at QPR, isn't he? So there's so many good players that were in the academy that made debuts that or sort of made a couple of appearances and then either went out on loan or, or moved on to other clubs. You know, Tyler Roberts was another one, didn't wasn't he? Went to Leeds. Um, I think he's now just gone to Birmingham, hasn't he, from what I understand. Yeah, yeah. He's had a few injuries and stuff like that. Uh, Lico's still doing well. I think Lico was at MK Dons last season. Um, ironically, the, I'm, I'm on the pro licence at the moment and his former manager that brought him in there was telling me all about... Um, how, how excited he was to get Lico into the in, across into his team because of what he what he brings in terms of his ability to to get the ball up the pitch and beat players and you know as I say you know when you actually look at some of these players they are they're, they're still really young they're, they're around about 22, 23. so there's there's still probably a lot more to come from some of those players um, so yeah there's, there's, there's there was a handful really I mean one of the ones that I, one of my favourite ones was was Morgan Rogers. Mm. You know, I, I know we, we sold Morgan in 2019 off the back of the, the FA Youth Cup run that we had. And, and I know that a lot of clubs were tracking him at the time. But 
you know, he obviously went to Man City um, and he's had a lot of loan moves since there, hasn't he? Since he's yeah. been at heavily, heavily linked with a, with a move to Middlesbrough permanently today. Is he? That's mm. brilliant. Um, but he was one that I obviously thought of if he'd stayed at the football club. You know, he, he could have been another one of those, um, like a Jude Bellingham for me. I mean, he was in the same sort of age group as Jude Bellingham. And certainly when they were growing up during their school or sort of periods when they used to play against each other, yeah, you could you could see on the pitch that obviously Morgan and, and, and Juba are the two standouts on the pitch. So again, what what could he have been? Could he have ended up being a forty five, fifty million pound player if it, if he'd stayed at the Albion and maybe that season um, made thirty odd appearances? Who knows? I mean, when you look at something like that, because I I, I sort of see both sides of it. You know, when you sell a player like Morgan Rogers, which we, the the general wisdom is we did to pay for Slavin Bilic to come in as uh, as coach. I I do see the side of it that um, from from the perspective that that clubs do have short term thinking because well you know people at the senior at at the senior level don't necessarily stick around a long time so they have to get immediate success and they don't necessarily look at the bigger picture and and the longer term view of the club. But for you as as youth staff, I imagine when you see a player like Morgan Rogers that you've spent so much time and effort developing, and you see them move on for what you think is probably a fraction. You you just said there could he have become a forty forty five million pound player. So when you see him move on for a fraction of what you think his potential value could be, I imagine there's a, there's an element of uh, of frustration there because you you know you you probably see the bigger picture and think you're selling yourself short here because of what he could be in five years' time or something like that. Well, it's, it, it happens everywhere, doesn't it? It happens at all sorts of clubs. You know, there's players that have come through the programme, they get sold for big money, and you think, well, they're, they're, they're real talent, they could do a real real good good effect in, in the current squad that they're in. Um, I suppose when, you, when you're flipping it around there, that, that particular season, you know, Slavon Bilic got, got the Albion back into the Premier League, which was ultimately really, really important for the football club. But they got into, back into the Premier League that year, um, having missed out the season before. Mm. So, you know, when you're actually weighing it up, there's the Premier League money, isn't it, that outweighs, you know, actually yeah. the... And, and there's probably fan pressure as well, Mike, because yeah. it, because the fans just want to see a winning team on on the pitch. They, they, what they, they probably don't want to hear about, OK, but if, if we're mediocre for a couple of years but hang on to these youth players they're going to be amazing for us and we're going to have an amazing team in two three years a lot of fans don't want to hear that argument do they no but then there's also some sometimes you you you, you might need to take the uh take the money because again it's, it's always that kind of young got crystal ball see how much they might be actually worth and and how, and how much potential they, they might actually have um you know, so you see a lot of youth players today, you know, under 18 players or even under 16 players that get sold, you know, for a million pound. I mean, we, we had quite a few during Jeremy Peace period. I mean, there was, a, there was a time they were talking about almost going to a Brentford model, I think it was, um, or, or really looking at the academy because we, we were sort of producing so many good players and they were getting, you know, nicked by Liverpool. And we had Easy Brown that went to Chelsea for a million pound or, or, or something like that. And then there was obviously Jerome Sinclair, Jan Danda. So there was a, there was a few players that obviously the the club reaped the rewards um, by, by obviously cashing in early on on, on those players. Not you know, I'm saying it was the, it was their choice, but I suppose you, if you 
if you're getting if you're getting turnaround of money that's being generated from the academy, it's still making a profit. And I think one of the one things I will say probably um, during the period I was there, that the, the academy was always in in credit um, mm. for players that were sold on, and, and certainly in terms of a football club, they were always in the black. They were they were they were never in debt. Um, yeah, the academy was well run by um, certainly Mark Harrison in terms of the way they used to balance balance the books. I don't think we I think we were one of the lowest. Cat one academies in the country for budget, but yeah. we, we were one of the top five in the country for productivity and and what we were producing on the football pitch across all the age groups. So, well, imagine when you look at what an academy what what an academy costs to run, that really you've probably only got to produce a Sido Berahino every ten years to to more than pay. For the for the academy, I mean, Sido was what twelve million to Stoke. You know, I mean, that's that that's the academy paid for for years and years, producing that one player. Yeah, well, if you look at it from from that particular, I mean, George Stone, I think went to two million. Yeah. So, you know, the well, yeah, million for Chrissy Wood. Yeah, Chris Wood again. So, I, I imagine some of these players had add-ons as well. But it's kind of um, when, when you're actually looking at you know what it costs to run an academy, and again, I don't know what the academy was running on um, back in two thousand eight, or even you know through the 10 years, 11 years I was there. But I'd imagine, you know, if you're, say, putting in £2 million of your own money, you know, one, the chairman wants his his money back, you know, because you, you're gambling, aren't you? You're putting £2 million in, you want you want £4 million or at least £2 million back. But, you know, in terms of actually getting a return, certainly from from the productivity of the academy, I, I, I certainly think they, they've done a really, really good job of, um, of churning out players, um, giving players an opportunity and, and, and giving players a career in the game. Uh, but also, more importantly, Chris, it's actually give, making really good people. That was that was something we were really, really big on. Yes, at the end of the day, we wanted to put players on the football pitch uh, for, for, for the team and uh, for the club. But it was also, we were really, really big on actually, you know, some of the players I've just mentioned, they were really, really good people. Um, you know, they're really well-grounded. And, and it's great now when you actually, you know, when you bump into, I actually bumped into... Um, Two players on on Saturday, um, which I haven't seen for nearly like well, probably about six years. You know, and you just see that they're just really good people, and they're, they're telling me what they're up to now. You know, so it, it, it's it's just really good when you actually bump into some of these these players you've worked with, and they're just really grounded, humble, honest, really good people. So that, that's important as well. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I've got to say, you know, working with those lads, they, they were magnificent. Chris Wood has got to be one of the nicest people I've ever met in my entire life. But it just depresses me that he's 31 years old now, Mike, because I still think of him as 17 years old. You know what I mean? Like, it, it I just can't get out of that headspace where Chrissy Wood is a teenager. And uh, and the fact that he's 31 is just, it, it makes me feel ridiculously old. Um, you mentioned before about um, not having a crystal ball and being able to see these players' futures. So, I mean, that's got to be one of the most challenging parts of the job, hasn't it? Like identifying the the talent, because as you say, it's so hard seeing what the what what these players are going to be. As you know, we've had we've we've had Jimmy Shan on the pod, we've had Keith Downing on the pod, and and one that always sticks out with me is Jimmy said spoke about Taylor Gardner Hickman and said he didn't see necessarily the ability there always with Taylor but what he saw was attitude and application uh, and is that is that necessarily the the first thing that you look for is that desire to make it you know somebody who's going to make the most of their talent or is it a bit of a balancing act between they've got to have that ability but they've also got to have the want to 
make it because it's a tough industry to make it in. It, it's it's a real it is a tough industry. It's a real challenging industry, and it's interesting because this was one of the things I was speaking to those two lads on Saturday about just saying what a tough industry it is to um, you know to get to the top and. The, the interesting one with Taylor, I mean, Taylor was one of my favourite players. I, I, you know, I certainly, I worked with Taylor from the age of 11. Um, it was it was obvious that there was there was three standout players in in that age group. There was Josh Griffiths, there was Morgan Rogers, and there was Taylor Garner-Hitman. Um, and Taylor, Taylor as a person, I mean, Taylor had a real challenging schoolboy um, programme at under-12s, under-13s. Um, I know he was tipped to go to Man City when he was in his foundation phase. They, you know, they, I think Man City came in for him. Um, obviously, he chose to stay at the Albion, and it was. Um, I know he had a, a real challenging period for two years between twelve and fourteens. Um, the under fifteen season, when he obviously came into our 15-16s program, um, he had one of the best seasons I, you know, I've ever seen a, a, a schoolboy have at under fifteens. He, he was flying. Now, this was a lad who didn't get put on a full-time programme because back then we had a full-time programme, uh, which was linked with Samuel Academy. What, what so, position was he playing then, Mike? Because he's he's obviously dotted around a lot of positions. Yeah, so he was actually a wide player, wide right. Um, but with Taylor, you could you could play anywhere. He could play 10, he could play 9, he could play you know, anywhere uh, across the front four, um, which is interesting because when, when, when I took the 18s, I ended up putting him at right back. Um, and as I say... Then when he went with Jamie Smith, he, because of the system at the time that Darren Moore was playing, Jamie mirrored it. Um, you know, he ended up playing wing back, and it, that really suited him. Um, but in terms of him, he he had an unbelievable under fifteen season. And it was almost like he didn't get on the full time program, and it was almost like he had a point to prove. So the the, the full time program we used to. You know, we, these boys you used to be able to get them out of school in the day. You used to be able to train on a Thursday morning with the 18s, on a Tuesday morning with the 18s. And obviously, Taylor had to come and do the evening session with with the hybrid program. And and Taylor would always turn up early, get you know, come out and come have a bag of balls, and he'd, he'd just go and work. Um, you know, on all you know, his finishing, on his crossing, on all sorts of different stuff, really. Um, so it, so he was really dedicated to to try and one prove a point on. You know, maybe I should have been put on this full-time program. But secondly, he just wanted to get better and he had a real, real sort of resilience. Um, and I suppose when you look at young players that can you predict whether they're going to play senior senior level, big big thing I look at is have they got attitude, have they got grit, have they got resilience? You know, because effectively once they start getting to the business end of of, of the academy level or, or even the football level, it, it becomes a bit more psychological, really. Um, well, yeah, take, well, take Taylor for example, Mike. You know, he obviously had that moment at Sheffield United at the end of uh, at the end of last season. If you're not a strong person, you don't come back from that. No, and, that, and that's the thing with him. He had so much setbacks, um, and I, I, I could give you so many examples of it. And one of the big, biggest setbacks, Chris, one of the beasts, and this was one of the hardest things I ever had to do as a coach um, was actually drop him against Arsenal in the FA Youth Cup fifth round. But this was a lad who. But started my end of 18 season, you know, put him in at right back. I think our right back got injured. The lad called Axon White got injured um, in pre-season. So we, we didn't have anyone that could play right back football. Taylor, Taylor can do the job there because he works hard. He's technically really, really good. Um, he's a, he was a first-year scholar. And, and generally, first-years don't always start in the under-18s because you have a lot of under-18 second-years that need to to sort of try and earn their, their sort of um, third-year 
um, scholarship or, or for, you know first year pro. So um, he went in at right back for us, and he, he, he was unbelievable for like ten games. And then, of course, what happened? I think with Jamie Smith's team, Jamie needed a, a sort of a wing back or you know someone that could play there. And because Taylor was doing so well, when one thing I say about Jamie, he'd always come and speak to me. He'd go right, he was doing well. And I always had this thing across all the age groups where, you know, if you if you were doing well, you deserve to to get the opportunity. Um, that was the sort of culture that that, that was set really across the schoolboy Broman 18s. And um I said, well, why don't you give Taylor a go, see how he see how he does. So Taylor went into the 21s and he ended up playing really well. And, and he ended up starting for for Jamie's team each week. And um so the first couple of rounds, I think we played Lincoln and then we played QPR. Taylor was in the team and then we've obviously gone to Arsenal and I'm looking at the Arsenal team and um, you know you got, you got Saka playing and basically he would have been marking him and you know what a talent he is you know and at the time he was a talent the Arsenal team were probably favourites to win the FA Youth Cup that year um, and it was um, we looked at it and I remember on the evening we, we, we sat down and my heart was saying Taylor because I think when he's a 21 start, you know, how can, how can you drop him from an under 18 game? Um, you know, FA Youth Cup that he's played in the previous games. And when we actually looked at it, when we sat down as a staff and we were right, Axum, Axum will actually do a job on Saka because, you know, he's, he's more of a defender, whereas Taylor's really good at getting forward and mm. he's technically really, really good. And that's, that's the area you need to work on. So, um, so one of the hardest things I remember coming in, in the, on the Saturday morning before the the team was all named pretty much in terms of what we're doing, but I, I said, look, I'll speak to him in the morning before the game and let him know. And I remember we, we sat down, we, we was talking for nearly an hour and a half about his, his career and, you know, you're not starting today, but you're going to come on and you're going to win us the game. And you've got to understand. And I remember saying this to him. I said, look, you will play in Albion's first team. You know, I know at the moment you're probably looking at it going, well, how's that going to be possible because I'm not starting today, but you're playing Albion's first team ahead of any of these that that that, that are playing today. I said, and you've got to think about the long term. You know, our win is you playing in the first team, and effectively you'll come on and win us the game. And ironically, because we were, we knew we would only get twenty minutes out. Um, sorry, the last twenty minutes we knew that Axon would have to come off because he'd just come back from injury and he was on limited minutes. So Taylor come on for twenty minutes, um, and he he absolutely. Worked his socks off for the team. Uh, Josh Griffiths was unbelievable for the last 20 minutes. It was one of them games, mate, where it was literally back to the wall and he's putting off save after save. And, um, you know, he constantly looking at the watch going, can blow the whistle sort of thing, you know, because we had an opportunity of getting into a, a quarter final for the first time in, God knows, I mean, 42 years, whatever. And it was, um, as I say, he was brilliant. But, but what I'm saying is, is he, he took it. And I think because of the relationship that had been built up with him since the age of you know, 11, 12, you know, and the trust that he had in... Myself. I was going to say it's trust, isn't it? He trusts that you're doing the best thing for his career. Do you know what I mean? And he did. And, but, but listen, he could have easily just sold and, and, and all the rest of it, but he didn't. And it, it was brilliant afterwards because he, so, he was so delighted when we won that game 2-1. And, you know, it was an unbelievable Arsenal team that, that we played. Um, but having said that, we were, an unbelie- we were unbelievable as well. So... Um, I think they worried about certainly our front three that we had at the time of, of Jamie Soule, Ryan Suller, Morgan Rogers, you know, and Finn Azaz. You know, that, that front four was, was dangerous. Um, so so it was kind of, the, the, the ironic story was, was he then went obviously back into the 21s 
the following game for Jamie. And then we had the Everton game in the quarterfinal. And um, again, we didn't start him, but we'd been doing a bit of work on him um, in terms of cutting inside and finishing because there was a couple of times in the in the 21s where he'd, he'd cut inside and he, he wouldn't pull the trigger to shoot. He'd, he'd try and slide someone else. So you've got the ability to score goals from that from 18 yards out. So, so we did a bit of work on it. And we, we, you know, he always used to come to me on a Monday. I used to knock on the door. Can you come go through my clips with me and stuff like that? He's like religious with him. So you're only talking about habits. Yeah. So, 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 Mike, when when he when he, uh, I don't know whether you were watching the game live, but when he when he burst when he nicked, robbed the ball against Reading and burst forward, are you in your head going shoot? <laughs> <laughs> he's just, mate, he's always had that ability to score goals at key moments. I mean, honestly, I've seen him score some unbelievable goals. He always had that in his locker, but that's because he used to go and work on it mm. you know, individually. But, you know, the the F of that FA Youth Cup quarterfinal against Everton, it, it was one of the best, I would say it's one of the best experiences as a coach that, that, I, that I experienced in my time there. But it was when he actually came on with about, I think he came on with about 25 minutes to go, and he could pick the ball up and he cut inside and he just top-binned it and it won us the game. You know, it, it, was, it was just brilliant for him because effectively you could just see what a team player he was. You know, and and it was um, you know, as I say, that that was that was Taylor. So I wasn't really surprised with him in terms of what I saw from him. And there was there was a few other players. You know, Morgan had that resilience, that grit, a team player. You know, always doing the extra. Um, there was there was quite a few players really that had that ability to to to. I mean, Keem Harker was another one that had unbelievable resilience and grit. So it didn't surprise me really when he did break into the first team and was given the opportunity. You mentioned Josh Griffiths a few times there, mate. He's the he's the subject of some conversation this summer because he's been heavily linked with 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 a move to Newcastle. Uh, obviously, not anything that I, uh, I I expect or want you to to comment on. But what I would love to know from you is how good is he? Like we've seen twelve games of him, and he's you know I mean look, he's a young goalkeeper. He's had a couple of like iffy moments. Uh, obviously, the goal against QPR and the goal against Blackburn. But then in between that, we've seen some brilliance from him as well. He's pulled off a couple of unbelievable saves. And for one so young, he's obviously away with the under twenty ones at the moment, who've just got to um, uh, got to the under twenty ones uh, Euros final, which is which is fantastic. I know he's not the starting goalkeeper James Trafford is, but um, nonetheless. The, the fact that he's in that squad, it just goes to show how highly rated he is. How high do you rate him? He's, he's an unbelievable talent and it's in credit, credit to Mark Naylor, you know, during that, that period when he was there, the work that Mark Naylor did with him, um, you know, certainly he, he benefited from. Um, but he was a talent from, certainly I, I first came across him when he was under 11 and he was playing. He was playing up an age group, and he played up an age group all the way through schoolboy period, really. Um, so he always played in that, that FA Youth Cup team that I've just um, just mentioned there. You know, he, he played in that team when he was under eleven, when they were under twelve, all the way through. He was always the, the goalkeeper playing up an age, and he coped with it. Um, and like I say, he, he won a lot of things at schoolboy level with, with with that group playing up an age group. So. That testament to him, really, to have a goalkeeper that, that, that can cope playing up an age group, um, can win things with an age group, um, certainly can play out from the back and, and can be a starter in possession. Um, unbelievable shot stopper. 
you know, and, and just a really, really good person again who, who just wants to get better. Um, and as I say, he he was someone that you know has is, is, is really kicked on. And again, he's another one that was, it was no surprise really that when he had the opportunity to go into the first team because you, you always thought as a goalkeeper, I mean, we, had, we had quite a few really that come through. Um, Mark Nally's programme, you know, like Jack Rose, you know, was always a talent. Um, Alex Palmer was one. Mm. Again, you know, there's, there's really, really good talented goalkeepers that, that come through his goalkeeping programme. But Alex Palmer was another interesting one that I remember him coming into the programme at 14. You know, and it, I remember I had a little story. I remember having to go into the school to try and get him out on day release. And, and <laughs> like, the head teacher was just not having it. He was just Sounds saying, like prison, mate. <laughs> Day release, yeah. Can you come out and play with the Albion? Yeah. So um no, we were in terms of the programme, mate, we, we had we had day release from under nines all the way up to under sixteens, because it was it, I'll come on to that in a minute, but it, it was one of it was one of Dan Dan and Mark's um big things about contact time. So, you know, maximizing contact time. But yeah, I remember trying to get Alex out for, for day release with the under fourteens and under fifteens. The head teacher was not having it, saying he's got no chance to become a professional footballer. You wait, he's wasting his time. He's got to focus on education. And and as I say, it was brilliant seeing him progress through the the, the program um, at the rate he did. But again, good character, brave, good shot stopper. You know, and he, he's he's maximised everything he can. He almost overtook Jack Rose really because at the time it was him and Jack Rose were the two goalkeepers in in that age group, and you know, Jack Jack was was really highly thought of and flying at the time. So, as I say, in terms of goalkeepers, we were never really known at the Albion for producing goalkeepers, really, within the academy system. We were very known for producing a lot of attacking players. So, if you looked at a lot of the England squads from the, the schoolboy programme all the way through up to sort of under-21s, 18s, 19s, you know, we used to have a lot of um, a lot of attacking players that used to be out on the England sort of thing, but we never really had any defenders or goalkeepers. So, it's good, really, to see that the the club have actually um, had a few come through the program. We've got Ted as well now, Ted Can as well, um, and I mean, obviously, you had Luke Daniels come through, who's made a great career in in football for yeah. himself. Yes, Luke. Luke was probably when I when I went in two thousand eight. Luke Luke was obviously in there in around the senior team. I think and he obviously went out and did quite a few loan moves and stuff like that. Obviously, Ted Can's another one. I mean, Ted Ted played the under eighteen team. It was ironic because Josh would play in the FA Youth Cup games. Um, and across some of the 18s program, um, and then obviously Ted Ted played quite a lot of the under 18s as well because I think Ted was the the second year at the time. Um, so it's good to see Ted doing really well as well. I, remember I saw Ted last season playing for the 21s against the club I work for now, which um, as I say, he had a really outstanding game in in in, in one of the cup finals that we played against the Albion last year. I think they, the was it the uh, Premier League Cup. So it's good to see his development because, again, he was someone that came into the football club at 16. I think we got him from Liverpool. Um, and as I say, he's really maximised the programme. And as I say, there's probably good things to come from Ted as well. So I think the, the goalkeeping department's in good hands there by the, by the looks of it. You talked you talk before about mentality. I, I imagine that's... That that's doubly important with a goalkeeper because uh, I mean just take just take the ones we've just talked about there. Josh Griffiths, as I say, 
played in the senior team, but, you know, just had that mistake against QPR where his, his clearance got closed down by Chris Martin. Obviously, his, um, his, um, his debut against Blackburn, one goes through his hands from a free kick, yet he comes back from that. Alex Palmer, very early on in his Albion career, just, you know, last minute goal against Millwall away, which he really should have stopped, but he came back from it and had an unbelievable season. Uh, and I, I imagine with goalkeepers, Every mistake you make is likely to end up in a goal. So if you haven't got that mentality, particularly as a young goalkeeper, you've you know you've got to be able to put that out of your head that oh I've, I may have I may have cost my team the game here, but you just move on to next week and you learn from it. And it seems like both those two guys, uh, Griffiths and Palmer, have the right mentality. Yeah, I think a lot of it as well. Uh, I'll talk about Mark Naylor. You know, in terms of his goalkeeping program, but honestly, he was so he's so good at what he does. You know, he, I know he's he's continuing doing what he's doing at the moment across the road at another club, but he, he's so good at what he did in terms of his program in developing goalkeepers. Um, you know, the other thing is he was the, the actually experienced environment that they were in. So, the, certainly with the 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 schoolboy program that they came through. Yeah, there was loads of opportunities to make mistakes, and I think because because there was so, we were so successful in the youth scoreboard program, and you know we were always competing against teams like Man City, Chelsea, in finals, you know, all the way through from under twelves all the way up to under sixteens. Yeah, they're always getting exposure to high pressured moments where it's tournament football, and don't get me wrong, there was, you know, there was there was mistakes that they made in those those competitions, and even in the under eighteen semi final. I think there was a, I think the second goal that we conceded or the first goal, I think he slipped, Josh Griffiths slipped. Um, yeah, but he bounced back. You know, he, he's got that bounce back ability, um, which again is that resilience, isn't it? That mm. when we talk about Taylor Rabin and, and some of the other players. It, it, it's almost just having that resilience. But again, it all comes down from the experiences that they have across the programme that they're sort of brought up in. Yeah, um, yeah. So again, it's nurturing the players to understand you've got to go again and pressured moments when that happens they, they have that bounce back ability you mentioned before about how you worked with jamie smith and uh, and and you know the staff having a great relationship how important for a um i mean dan, dan ashworth always used to use the phrase dna the a, a dna that ran through the entire club that there was a way of playing that ran through all the age groups that uh, from the seniors all the way down how how important is it having that interconnected thing that runs all the way th- uh, through the through the club? Because it it seemed to bear masses of fruit under under Dan, and we seem to have a very strong identity for who we were and what we were trying to achieve. Yeah, the 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 DNA. I mean, it was interesting because the the DNA was originally sort of the Albion's DNA. Um, obviously, it went into the England DNA when when he went across to England. Um, and virtually what he did at England was virtually what we, we did at the Albion before he triple P, really. Mm. Um, so, yeah, the, 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 the Albion DNA in terms of the, the club, it was bringing the whole programme together from first team all the way down to under nines, really, um, in terms of having an alignment of how we play. Um, so, we, we, you know, the DNA was playing through the pitch, playing out from the back, you know, managing the ball in midfield, getting to the final third, being clever, creative scoring goals so you know and then without the ball it was does, does formation come into it as well Mike is it important that all the age groups play the same shape 
Yeah, so we had a we had a certain system. You know, we used to play four three three all the way through. You know, and it was it was a very it was very well oiled um, program in terms of everyone knew what they were doing. So when you talk about systems, um, fixed systems, we you know that helped with player recruitment. So for example, when we were going after a number nine, we knew what we wanted a number nine to look like. We knew what we wanted number seven to look like. What a midfield player would look like. You know, so there was a there was a real heavy um, sort of alignment in terms of what players look like in different positions in terms of the systems that we play. There was obviously principles of play that we had, you know, playing through the pitch, um, high pressing team across all the age groups. And again, it was it was kind of um when the triple P came in, um, which is the lead player performance plan, which was obviously brought in by Jed Jed Roddy. Um I wouldn't say it killed us a little bit because we were almost ahead of the time. We you know we were one of the first clubs that were doing more contact time. So, you know, we had score release running from nines all the way up to sixteens. You know, we used to get the lads nines to elevens out on a Thursday afternoon and you'd have all the core staff working with those players, you know. So, you know, we'd go and pick the players up from school, we'd bring them in two o'clock, you know, and and, and then there'd be myself, Danksy, Jimmy, you know, um a host of other staff work working with those players from nine till five. And then you'd then go and work with the, the sort of twelves to sixteens. For the, for the next sort of three and a half hours in the dome. So uh, in terms of the actual um, the process, it was really clear. You know, when teams would come and play, play us, they knew what they were going to get. And I suppose there was a little bit of how they'd done this so quickly. Um, so when obviously Dan, Dan took over as the tech director and, and Mark Harrison took over as the academy manager, you know, the, the, between the two of them, how they sort of um, aligned everything, you know, I mean, I remember, you know, when I first went there, you had Tony Mowbray was the manager and the way they used to play football, you know, it was a very continental style of football. Mm. Um, you know, you couldn't get the ball off them. There was obviously at the time, a, it's the question whether we'd score enough goals, but it was a real, real attractive brand of football and, and that mirrored all the way down to 18s under Michael Appleton's team all the way through to under nines and that's where the DNA was sort of creating. It just moved on, really. I think when we had Roy Hodgson come in, because we were very in possession based and, and certainly Roy came in and we started seeing the out of possession side of how you can you know, defend, defend as a team, as a, you know, we, we started taking a bit from Roy and then we started having a little bit of a focus on the out of possession DNA. So it was, um, it's really important that clubs have an alignment for the first team. Although I understand sometimes you can't. So for example, when Tony Pulis come in, you know, we were in a situation where we needed to stay in the league you know, and all the rest of it. So, you know, it, it changed a little bit at first team level, but I mean, said to Tony, you know, Tony, Tony got us a top 10 finish. Mm. Um, and, and in terms of staying in the Premier League, Tony achieved that, didn't they, for, for the time he was yeah. there, which was important, but it didn't really change from 21s down. You know, no. in terms of the academy, there was that, there was always that DNA from 21s all the way down to nine that was our brand of football. Is that difficult when you get a needs must situation like that? And 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 it it, it was Tony Pulis' style of football from what had come before. Whether we were talking about you know Steve Clark, Pepe Mel, Tony Mowbray, Roberto Di Matteo, 
Roy Hodgson was a little bit more um, defense first, but it was it, it was still the shape was similar. The way we attacked was was uh, was similar. But uh, Tony Pulis was a big departure from that, and and then obviously Alan Pardew was a big change from that. And then uh, and and then once again, you know, you you go on from there, and uh, Sam Allardyce, uh, Slaven Bilic. These these are all very contrasting styles of football, and the chopping and changing must be challenging for the first team, but it also must be challenging in terms of you guys getting players through the age groups into the first team, because it's, it's almost if, if, if there's not that consistency at the top of the club, at the senior level, it's hard to know what sort of players you're trying to produce, isn't it? Well, we had consistency with Dan when he was technical director, because, um, I mean, Dan, Dan's role, I mean, he was one of the first tech directors in the country, for what I understand, but then Nick Hammond was the other one who, when Nick came in, Nick was very similar to Dan. I mean, it was, it was brilliant, really. I mean, someone that used to, you know, be there on a Sunday watching watching you take the 13s or the or, or 12s or 14s or whatever. He would, you know, they, they were so well um, ingrained in the club. So, certainly Dan's role was to oversee the academy, the recruitment, the, um, the sports science and medical, the first team, you know, now technical directors oversee women's program and stuff like that. So it was one of the first of the kind, really, that almost was that sort of glue between all the departments. And it, it was fast, it was fantastic because there was real alignment. I mean, we would have review meetings every season, you know, where everyone's talking about their department. It was so integrated all the way through the club. Um, but, that, but Dan, certainly in terms of um, that recruitment, he he was really, really, really good in that area. I mean, we, we used to he used to find gems. You know, I don't know where he used to find them, but <laughs> some of those players that he found um, with his with his team of staff, you know, that that ended up creating an unbelievable team at the time, um, was brilliant. But you know, he was also very very big on the youth and knowing when to blood the youth. Obviously, there was a bit of chopping and change with tech directors across the period of time. I think in the time I was there, there was I think there was about fifteen managers or fifteen. 15 managers, but probably about four or five interim managers. So, you know, there was periods when Keith took over, there was periods when uh, Jimmy took over. There was, there was a couple of interim managers that went in there. Um, but certainly the managers that we had across the, the, the time I was there, um, they were always very, very big on youth development of, of players. I think they were really, really proud of the, the academy at the time in terms of how good the academy was and what was actually coming through. I remember when Tony first came in, I think he was a little bit shocked because obviously whether it was a case of Stoke that he felt that there probably wasn't a strong enough um, group of players coming through. I don't know, but I remember when he first came in, he was really surprised at how well oiled the academy was. And, and in fairness, that guy probably gave probably the most debuts, really, when you look at the amount of players he gave debuts to. Rakeem, Kane, Tyler, Lico, Sunfield. Yeah, because he gets he, he gets a rep, doesn't he? Because uh, basically, because he never gave he never gave youth players a game at, at, at Stoke. There was this there was this thing about um, Tony Pulis hadn't given a hadn't given a, a youth player a game for something like ten years or something crazy like that. But but maybe as you say, that was more to do with Stoke than Tony Pulis's attitude towards youth. Possibly, again, I mean, I wouldn't know what what was in. You know, whether programs are whether programs are, we were so focused on our own at the time. But you know, the, I've got to say that across all the managers that that we had, there was different periods in the in the um, the time I was there that you you know. So you look at Steve Clark. So you, Steve Clark, that team, 
that was one of the best teams that I saw down there. Um, you know, when you had Lukaku and uh, it's almost like you took the stuff from Roy in terms of the out of possession and then sprinkled the in possession stuff on there. And yeah, you know, that 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 particular season was 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 brilliant to watch in terms of the football. Yeah, that that, that three of Long, Odd and Wingy and Lukaku was just terrifying, wasn't it? Oh, I mean, I remember the 5-5, one of the best games. Oh. Alex Ferguson's last game, it was one of the best yeah. games I've ever seen. Um, but again, I mean, I know I know Steve, bloody Izzy Brown, one of the youngest, I don't know whether he's silly, he's one of the youngest um, academy products, but he blooded him at 16, didn't he, to, to make him one of the youngest yeah, I, I think I think he I think he missed out on the I, I could be wrong, but I think he missed out on beating Bobby Hope uh, by by literally a few days. Um, yeah, I, I think it, I I'd have to double check that one, but I I remember I remember actually having the the conversation with Bobby, God rest his soul, um, at, at at the time. Um, so yeah, he was certainly very very close to Bobby's record anyway. Yeah, so the, the, there was a few managers. Again, my, probably the, the last season I was there, I would actually say was probably one of the best seasons where, as a club, it was a real one one club, and that and that's that was the strength of Darren Moore really. Um, when Darren obviously took over, that 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 last season was it just felt like across first team all the way through. It was it was almost like back in the, the time when when Dan was sort of overseeing the the club. Because it was Darren had this ability to bring everybody together, um, and it was a bit of a shock, really, when he when he when he got sacked after that Ipswich game. Mm. Um, and it was a real shock because we actually felt that season that we we had a real togetherness. You know, the 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 twenty ones, the eighteens, the first team was all aligned. It was, it was a brilliant culture. Um, you know, Darren was a real real support for 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 all the coaches across the program. You know. It, I could give you a number of occasions where you know he'd come and give me advice, him and Graham Jones on some of the challenges we were having, um, and he was just brilliant. And, and, and as I say, all the way through, you, you then start, you know, you just had alignment. I felt of key staff in right positions. You had Jimmy that just stepped up with Darren, so you had an academy coach that that come for the program, knew the program. You know, the brand of football that Darren was trying to play was, was brilliant. It was like, you know, playing through the pitch again. You had Jamie, he'd come through the, the programme that was mirroring what was happening there. Myself and, and Pete Gilbert, 18s. You know, again, we'd come from that, that schoolboy programme and, and we're, we're trying to build on that. And then, again, you then started seeing, like, some of the other staff that had come through the programme as players that, that were then coaches, like Lee Downing, who's, who are known as the, the under-18s coach there. You know, he was doing the 16. You had Lee, Lee Baker, again, a former player that come through doing the 14s. Ash Lovell, former player that played in George um, Thorne's team. So you, you had all these great staff that knew the club inside out that come through it. And it was it was just, yeah, like I say, it was a really, really um, enjoyable, probably last season, really, in terms of what we had. It was special. It was a real special time, right. hopefully, that staff there. Throughout that time, it wasn't it wasn't just pathways for players, was it? It was pathways for staff because, as as you say, you'd got. I mean, Appy went all, all the way through the age groups and ended up, you know, a, a caretaker charge of the first team. You got Keith went uh, went all the way through. Shaky went uh, went all the way through as well and was was caretaker uh, caretaker charge. You got um uh, got uh, Jimmy. Went all the way through and was uh, was caretaker charge and I don't know whether you know this stat but um, win percentage wise Jimmy Shan is the most successful West Bromwich Albion manager ever. 
um, uh, who's taken charge of ten games or more. Um, and uh, and uh, the, uh, you've got you've got I mean you've got Danksy who's who progressed amazingly, done amazing things with England, and took charge of Aston Villa for a for a game as well. I mean, it's amazing the pathways and the development, not just in the players, but the staff around that time. What made that group of staff so special, Mike? Because the the stuff you've all gone on to do is is incredible. It it just is incredible. I've I've just reeled off a potted history of it there, and I and I haven't even uh, blown your own trumpet because you're the one sat here. But like you know, th- there's there's so much success in that group of staff that we had all together at that period of time. What made that group so successful? And that's I didn't even mention Dan, obviously. Who, I mean, his CV speaks for itself. It's unreal. There's there's, there's so many staff um, that have gone on to do so many good things from that group of staff. Um, there's the whole list of things. I mean, there's a whole list of analysts that are now work in England. Mm-hmm. You know, like, so to, to when, when, it, when you go down to St. George, you've seen all the, all the Albion analysts that used to work under the first team all the way through are all like now working for England. There's, there's one that's out there at the moment doing the under 21s. You know, so there's, there's so many staff that I suppose come through the programme. One is testament to Mark Harrison and, you know, certainly in terms of the way he used to develop staff and push staff and give staff the opportunity. I mean, you know, if, in fairness to, to Mark, he, he gave me my first full-time role in football and I'll always be grateful for that. Um, but he, he gave everybody an opportunity. And like just what you've said there, you know, there was always this convey about staff when one moves up. You know, there was always one that's ready to fill in mm. and then there'd be a part-time member of staff that'd be ready to come in full-time. So there was always this convey about of, of staff that were being developed. I suppose all the staff that that come through that period, biggest one was we're all hungry. We're all hungry to try and become better coaches, better people, better better sort of people within the game. Um, and and we, we had a real passion for trying to create an academy programme that would go toe-to-toe with anyone in the country. And that, and really, I mean, it was, listen, it was driven from Mark Harrison in terms of wanting to be one of the best academies and, you know, we all stepped up and staff, we, we thrive for that, you know, so certainly from a from um, an academy programme, you know, people always used to sort of like wonder what was going on down the road and, you know, and, and how they're doing what they're doing there. But it was literally continuity of staff. You know, you look at some of the stuff like, you know, what, what Danks was doing, you know, I know Danks went to the FA period through, you know, um, halfway through, through through that sort of period. Um but look what he's going to achieve. There's, you know, you've got people like Steve Ockcroft as well, who, who had an unbelievable ability at finding players. So we always used to talk about right programme, right staff, right facility, um, and right players. So if you look at the right players, Hoppy and his team used to find all the players in and around the Midlands, which God knows how he used to do it. But he had an unbelievable ability of finding some real good talent uh, for us to work with. It was then down to us staff to to grow them and develop them and coach them and teach them technically, tactically, psychologically, and, and, and obviously develop them physically. Um, but then having said that, there was a lot of physical staff, sports science staff that moved all the way through the, the ranks. And there's one or two now that are in first team that started off doing the, the foundation phase. So it weren't just coaches that developed. And then obviously in terms of the programme, we had an unbelievable programme you know, in terms of what we did. Um, unit programs, position specific programs, DNA programs. There was there was a whole menu of programs that helped develop these players. 
And then obviously at the time we had we had a really, really you know we were one of the first academies I think that had a dome. I think Dan Dan invested in that. I think they got to a semi final, didn't they? Of um, one of the cups, it was the FA Cup, and Jeremy Peace basically yeah, gave we, him money we, to invest in that. Yeah, we we got uh, we got beat by Villa. Um, uh, I, I don't know whether you remember him. They had they had a goalkeeper called Benjamin Segrist. Because I, I was there, I commentated on it from the gantry, and Segrist just had the game of his life. We battered Villa, and um, and we lost basically because th- their goalkeeper just stopped everything we chucked at them. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Away days are great. But there's nothing quite like playing at home, especially with Albion's home record under Carlos Corbran. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Oh, the, 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 um, the, the good news was we ended up getting a dome out of it. So I, I, I remember like the first time I walked in that dome and saw the size of it and I was just blown away by it. I think it's because I'd, I'd, I'd recently come from a, a club that, that had a dome half the size of it. So it was kind of um I just I was just blown away by it in terms of the could he could have used the heater in the winter though, Mike. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah that, that did have its challenges on score release and in the in the days sometimes. But I've got to say that that was the hub. That was where we worked, that's where we produced those players. And and then obviously when 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 um when we invested a little bit more money into it, we got the outdoor facility as well. But when you actually look at it, I remember it makes you realise just how big that car park was. Um, leading up to that dome, but yeah, so that 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 really helped in terms of the timings and the contact time of the program, because um, it meant you could do like sessions at the same time, you know, rather than having to sort of stagger it. Um, but yeah, I certainly felt like in terms of what we had, it was it, we maximised everything we had at the time to to develop that. Um, but it was like a university of football, Chris. You know, that, that was the best way of describing it. You know, the staff staff would go and watch Keith work. Or go and watch Michael Appleton work, or or Roy Addison work, or, or Steve, whoever it was, and then that would then get fed down the chain, and then mm. you know there'd, there'd be a session say that you know Jimmy would be doing, and Danks would see it, and then Danks would then feed that down to, to to me and Jamie, and and then we'd start doing it. And so there was always that alignment of session planning, session structure, um, ideas. Um, it was a real sharing environment in terms of how we used to do that. I know. There used to be a lot of CPD that we used to do, which would develop us as coaches um, in-house. And I know Dan was big on CPD. Um, just, to... just for anybody who doesn't know, just explain what CPD is, please. Yeah, it's just continual professional development, really. So, you know, we'd, we'd get together quite a lot and, you know, um, sort of 
put on sessions that we've seen or you, you go on a study visit and you come back and you'd share and you know that the, you'd get Keith coming down and going right this is what we're doing at first team now and you know the, the, there'd be all sorts of different stuff that people would share um which Dan, Dan was very big on look going and looking at other clubs as well wasn't he whether that was abroad or or, or whatever that was he, he you know he he always felt you could cherry pick the best ideas from elsewhere yeah but like I say every, everybody used to get that opportunity to go and see other other things um, and then come back and bring something so I remember I, I went out to Atletico Bilbao it was during the period when they were flying under uh under Bielsa. the manager that was there and um you know, everyone was talking about Bilbao I think I went there because it, I looked at it being similar sized region to the West Midlands that they they picked from and it was a case of um and they well they take all their players from the Basque region, don't they? Yeah, yeah. They, they, they? They got this. I don't know. I don't know whether they've still got it, but certainly at the time they had this weird rule where they they only played Basque players. Yeah, that, that's correct. And and we were very similar. We used to have like basically all our players within the West Midlands area, you know. So it was um, it was just we looked at it from that perspective. But obviously, then you 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 come back and you start looking at how sports science was integrated with coaching and. Yeah, you, it was just brilliant because you, you just got to share so much from courses and from people doing stuff. Um, but I, I just had the staff, mate, the, the staff at the time, whether it was through luck, but when you look back at the staff that we had back there at that period of time, the, the work ethic that we had, you know, the, 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 we'd be working so many hours to try and develop players. Um, we talk about the hard yards and stuff like that. That would even be like, you know, say if there was a Christmas staff night, you know, like we used to have the big club staff staff do, you know, at Christmas, we would still be doing a session before that. You know, we'd do the session, then we'd get changed in the dome, then we'd come across. But that, that's how passionate we was about trying to develop the players and just yeah. You you worked hard and you played hard, mate. Because I ended up on one or two of your nights out, and uh, um, well, let's just say I don't remember them that well. <laughs> yeah, but as I say, it was um, there was a real work ethic across everybody, and whether that was clever in terms of the recruitment that that Mark and Dan did, but let's put it this way: when you, when you got selected to go and work at that club, you 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 had a work ethic and. And if you didn't, you 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 get you get found out, you get told, and I think that's one of the reasons why so many staff might have gone on to do so well because they've got that work ethic that yeah just it's just stayed with them really, and that desire to get better. I mean, I don't mean this disrespectfully to anybody who's who's at the club now, but um, you, you all, well, most of you departed the club in and around the same period of time. It felt like an end of an era. I mean, I'd I'd already gone from the club at uh, at that point. I I obviously left in in two thousand and fourteen. Um, but like it, for me on the outside, seeing so many of you go at the same time, it was it felt it felt like a sad day for me. Did it uh, was was it sad to see that group broken up? It it was strange really because it'd been like one of the best seasons with Adams Academy. Um, you know, we'd had we'd had an unbelievable FAU Cup run, which it hadn't been done in forty two years. You know, and that and again that that was everybody had played a part in that. That was ten years in the making, Chris. You know, like developing, um, and, you know, and, and there was groups coming through. There was another group that did it two years later, and you could see there was groups coming through that could replicate that. And and the staff, in terms of the actual staff that were there, there was real continuity. 
and everybody was on the same page. And say so it was driven, it was driven so well by by Mark. And I suppose the the, the turning point was when I suppose when we didn't get promoted. Um, there was uncertainty what was going to happen with Jimmy. Jimmy had the opportunity to come come and work with Slavin, but so Jimmy Jimmy had aspirations of his own, which you know he's he's gone on to do quite a lot, hasn't he? I and mean, he's recently just been with Darren and and Jamie at um, Sheffield Wednesday yeah. and got promoted, which again is a bit of a shock in terms of what's gone on there. But you know you had Darren that sort of left, and then Jimmy took over, and as I say, you, so you had Darren leave, you then had Jimmy leave, you then had Jamie Smith got the opportunity to go with Darren um, to Doncaster. I think Jimmy had the opportunity, but I think Jimmy Jimmy chose to to, to go into management. Um, I think he had yeah, so, Solly Hall Moores, wasn't it? Yeah, so I think he had Kim and Solly also. So they obviously went on their sort of journey. Um, Mark Naley then obviously got the opportunity to go across in Mark to Villa. Um, Hoppy obviously then followed, and then obviously Ryan May followed, and so, so you had you had a kind of an, an exodus of staff that was sort of I suppose they knew the program as well, which is one of the reasons why they might have gone across with with certain staff. I had an opportunity to go to Derby um, to sort of head up their academy program with Darren Russell, um, and I almost saw it as I've been been at the club you know, nearly twelve years, and I, had, I actually had conversations with at the time Luke Dan about the academy manager's role and and staying and, and all the rest of it and. I just felt at the time, I, I, you know, you know, you just needed a new, new experience, and it's one of those where you think, well, could you have stayed and, and carried it on? And who knows? But I, I think I've benefited a lot from having different experiences going to Derby, and then obviously I then did move across to Villa. I had the opportunity for for Mark to go there, which I, you know I'll always be grateful for, for that opportunity. And then again, you know, I came across to. To Wolves to sort of continue the role I was doing at Derby really as a as a, as a head of coaching, so um, yeah, it, it was it was it was an interesting period because you you did lose a lot of staff and it's a little bit like a Derby really. Um, when I went when I went into Derby, they they had a core group of staff there, you know, Darren Russell, Pat Lines, Justin Walker, uh, Simon Ord, um, John Barton. There was, there was a whole host of staff there that had been at the club ten years. And, and certainly, I know after COVID, that got kind of broken up a little bit because obviously the financial situation at Derby at the time. So you saw another strong academy, kind of how just be staff moving and leaving and all the rest of it, how, how that can suddenly then affect the academy and how it can change. Because it is all about people, mate. The, the, club, the, the academy programmes are all about people and they make the, the place work, really, across every, every aspect, not just the coaching. Across all the MDT, more disciplinary team staff that are there. Well, on on that point, Mike, and I know this is possibly a difficult question to answer, but after the staff exodus happened, what happened was a bit of a player exodus as uh, as well. Obviously, as you say, I, I think possibly it can sometimes be underestimated by fans the connection between the players and uh, and the staff. Do you see those two things as as interconnected? The the staff exodus and the player exodus. I mean, obviously, slightly, uh, slightly facilitated by the fact that a lot of them went to Villa, where um, where quite a number of our staff had ended up going anyway. But um, it's it. it, it uh, I, I mean, I personally, I'll give you my personal opinion. I can't help but th- look at it and feel like 
a number of those players might have given us a bit longer if the if the same staff had been there because they had just such an amazing connection with them. I'll be honest with you. So the the first couple of years I was there, um, we lost, like I say, we lost a lot of players. Um, you know, Jerome Sinclair, Jan Danda. Um, there was Is a Smith that went to Man City. There was, you know, there was a few. Izzy as well, yeah. Nine, yeah, so... The, the, and then I think we went for a seven-year period, Chris, where we managed to actually keep all our top players. And, and the, the, there was a lot of interest for people like Lico and Tyler and, and Morgan and all sorts. But we well, you just them. said City were in for Taylor. Yeah. So so we, we did an unbelievable job. And one of the reasons I think we kept them was because of the, the people that were in the building, the relationships that the parents had, you know, across all the age groups, you know, the relationship the parents had with Lee Baker, with Lee Downing, with myself, with you know, Jamie Smith and... and and all that, all those staff, certainly in the schoolboy period, it, it 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 got them across the line at eighteens, mm. um, and then ultimately the job then was to try and get them into the first team. So, I think there was a real strong period for seven years where we didn't lose any, and then obviously in the last season, I think once whether it was a coincidence, but obviously once staff started moving on, you had Louis Barry then got suddenly across to Barcelona, you know, he, he, and we again that's the massive achievement having an English player get get signed for a a club of that stature. Um, Morgan Rogers then went, and I think Nathan Ferguson then sort of followed to Crystal Palace not long after playing 20-odd games. Yeah. Um, so, Finn Adaz, so Tim Rugbenham. Yeah, Finn Adaz and Tim. And yeah, there was there was quite a few players that obviously went across. Um, there was other players that might have gone to other clubs. I thought, you know, again, I, I was focused at the time at the club I was at. You know, you, you were hearing different, different, different players moving and stuff like that. But then the, there was other there was other players, Chris, that you really thought would have kicked on, like you know people like Jamie Soul, um, George Harmon, people like that, and you know they. I think some of the stuff with them, they didn't really get the opportunity, whether it was because of COVID um, or the opportunity to go out on loan. There was a number of players that obviously ran out their contracts or, or you know and, and got moved on and released at a, a period of time, certainly for the FA Youth Cup group that. You've probably thought would have had more longevity at the club. Um, I mean, I'll go back to George Harmon. Jo- George Harmon captain the club from the age of like nine all the way up to twenty you know, ones, and he was one of the, uh, he was one of the best young lads. You know, you talk about grit and determination, and he loved he loved that club. He, you know, he still does love the club. He's, he's an Albion supporter through and through, like his family. And I remember getting a phone call from him. Um, of his dad actually saying, um, he's been released, can, can you help? Is there, is there any clubs out there that you can help? And it was interesting because we had um, David Oldfield. Do you remember David Oldfield? Yeah, yeah, I remember David Oldfield. So David was manager of um, Oxford City at the time. And I, and I still, I've still kept in contact with Dave through the years because, again, I always got on really well with him when he was doing the role. And um, I remember phoning him up going, listen, there's a lad who's, I think, has got so much potential, but he just needs opportunity to play. Can you give him a chance? Can you come down and do pre-season with you? So he went down there, you know, and he was just at a stage where he just wanted to play. He went down there and obviously within two weeks he signed him and he's ended up going on to um, being player of the year. And then the next thing you know, he's getting um, head-hunted to go and play in the Scottish Premier League. Um, and again, he had a fantastic agent that sort of worked with him, you know, in terms of the agent that he, that he actually had. He was very supportive as well in terms of, of what we're talking about there. Um, and he's actually someone that's come out the other side of it, that's, that's, that's 
he's had an unbelievable season in, in the Scottish Premier. I think he, he kept the team that he's, he's with up. So you had a couple that obviously moved on that got released. And, you, you know, like Jamie Soule, uh, Jamie actually messaged me the other day. I think he's at Alf Church now. You know, this, this was a lad who at 17, about 15 to sort of 18, 19, was an England centre forward. Mm-hmm. You know, he was one of the best centre forwards I worked with at under 18s. You know, and, and it's like, He's now playing at Alf Church level, and you think, well, you like to think that he might have an opportunity at some point getting back in the game. So whether they, whether it was a, the, the COVID period of some of them missed out on the, those loan opportunities, and it, it just they didn't progress there. There's one or two that obviously you know probably had opportunities to go to to big clubs. Um, did they lose one to Chelsea? I don't know. The, the, it's been a couple of clubs, I don't know that. that yeah, there's one to Arsenal, I think, as well. Arsenal, again, I don't know the, the ins and outs of it because I haven't been there for many years. But yeah, you know, obviously they they choose to go a different route. Um, but then there's some that have stayed there, Chris. That you know, Caleb Taylor, Brian Cleary, Jamie Andrews. You know, there's there's a number of them that have stayed there that have really reaped the benefits of it. And you know, certainly if you're looking at next season. I, See probably one or two of those I've just mentioned being in and around the first team, maybe. Well, you know. I mean, let's let's just talk about them for for a moment because, as you say, I mean, obviously the club's financial situations we all know is is pretty perilous. But one of the, I suppose, the silver lining, if you want to look at it as of that cloud, is that there's greater opportunities for for young players there, and there is a number of young players knocking on the door, whether it's um, Jovan Malcolm, whether it's um, uh, Zach Ashworth, um, Jamie Andrews, um, uh, Reyes Cleary, as uh, as you say, there's there's a Ethan Ingram is has been there or thereabouts. He's played in the played in the League Cup uh, for us. There's obviously young Josh Griffiths if he stays, and that does seem to be quite a big if uh, at this at this stage. Mo Far. Got a, got a little bit of game time towards the end of the season uh, as well. How excited at the potential of that group should 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 we be? Because you'll have you'll have seen a lot more of them than 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 we have at the moment. We've we've only seen little bits and bobs in sort of like we saw quite a few of them in the FA Cup replay against Chesterfield. Jamie Andrews obviously played and did very very well in that game. As I say. Mo Fall, Jovan Malcolm, these guys have both come on as substitutes at periods in in games. Caleb Taylor's just come back from what I hear was an unbelievable loan at Cheltenham. How excited about these players should we be? Well, again, all those players you've just mentioned there. Is Tom Fellows still there as well? Tom, Tom Fellows. Fellows, yeah, he's been up, been on loan at Crawley uh, at the at the end of last season, so he's another one coming back from what I hear was a successful loan. Yeah, so. All those players you've just mentioned. I mean, Ethan Ingram came into into my schoolboy program at sixteen um, from from one of our partnership um, academies that that we had, and um, to see his rise in terms of what he did. I mean, I think I think he, he got into the under, England under eighteens um, the following year. You know, so he actually came late into the um, into the into the actual academy system, really. So. But all the ones that you've just mentioned there, you know, that they, they'd come through the club since the age of nine, you know, and you all saw the talent and all those players that you said. I mean, again, they were another group, Chris, that used to, you know, compete, win things. You know, they won things at under 12 in Premier League Cups, 13s, 14s, you know, 15s. And, and then they obviously had another, they were another group that had a fantastic FA Youth Cup run under Peter Gilbert and Lee Downing. So it, it's kind of, you, you've always saw 
that potential of the next batch that were coming through. So, so they've, Reyes is always one that I've always really liked as a centre forward. He, he reminded me a little bit. So, you know, the ability that Saido had to finish, mm. ability that Saido had to almost hold the ball up and protect the ball and manipulate the ball and you know, that, that strength he had of, of receiving the ball up against pressure. You know, Re- Reyes is one that, you know, I always, I always thought was... Um, had real potential in the game. Caleb Taylor was another one that, you know, certainly you know, the pedigree that he has from his dad as well. You know, you, you, he was always someone that was like, he was like a mini professional, you know, even at the age of 12. You know, he, he used to do everything so professionally all the way through his schoolboy program. And, you know, it's no surprise really in terms of when you say he had a fantastic loan. He, he was another one that you could see playing, playing the first team for yourselves. Um, Jamie's an interesting one. Jack, Jamie, Jamie used to remind me a little bit of um, Darren Fletcher. I used to, <laughs> to Darren Fletcher. He used to remind me of a little like a Darren Fletcher at sixteen and eighteen. But he 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 had a bit of trauma for what I remember. I remember getting an injury. It was it, it was actually my last week at the football club. We were on tour in Romania. I, I think that's when Jamie injured himself. I'm pretty sure it was. But I remember him getting an injury, which put him out for some time. So he he's had um. You know, we talk about resilient and grit to come back. And then I remember him, him having a really, really good FAU Cup run with that group. Um, and it was it was all those lads that you've just mentioned there, as I say, when when I saw them play last season against Wolves in in, in the Premier League Cup, it, it was it was it was a real surreal moment seeing those lads because I hadn't obviously seen them play for, for nearly two, three years. You know, last time I probably saw them was when they were under 17s um in, in my squad and that, and it was it was brilliant watching them as under-21s players and just yeah. seeing like, the development of where where they actually all were. And you could see straight away, I mean, Zach, Zach Ashworth, you know, he, he he was always someone, again, who used to always, he was so committed and so um, so dedicated. And he, he, Cause he's, he was just a winner. And Dan obviously knows what it takes to make it. So, you know, that he can pass those lessons on to Zach. He's he's done unbelievably well, Zach. But again, he was all, all the players that you just mentioned. They were they were winners, you know. Uh, uh, just just a word on Jovan Malcolm, mate, because he's he's one that Albion fans are quite excited about. By he obviously he came on against Chesterfield and scored uh, scored late on with a, you know a lovely header. To be fair to him, um, and he, I think he's one that Albion fans are, are are excited to either see more of or would love to see him go and have a successful loan somewhere because I think they think he, there's real potential there. Was he was he one that you always saw a bit of potential in? Well, let's put it this way. We, we had a very, very strong... Um, certainly, I remember he used to, used to have him, um, Louis Barry, um, Tom Fellows, certainly as a, as a front three. They were, they were a very, very strong front three. Um, and, and Joven, again, he used to play up. In, in Taylor Garner Hickman's age group, um, yeah, he was like the number nine. That that, that was all. He'd always be that 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 number nine on the on the team sheet because of what he what he could do. Score goals again, strong, strong at, at, at getting on the ball, and you know, again, physically a real handful, um, but good goal scorer. So again, you know, as, as a as a as a group, as a as a team, they they were a very very strong team coming through the program. Um, and as I say, if they had the opportunity this year to to play in the championship and 
and, and get game time and, and 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 help the club get back into the Premier League and progress, then it's a great opportunity for them. And I think that's the one thing now that the club the club have got these players that have come through that program that might actually get the opportunity and end up being some serious um, serious players for them this season. You mentioned before about, you know, there was obviously the change in rules around EPPP, obviously that the sort of late addendum that happened to the EPPP, uh, allowing other Cat 1 clubs to take players off other Cat 1 clubs did make it more difficult to hang on to the, uh, hang on to the players. Um, and, and then obviously since then, what we have seen from some of the massive clubs in, in the, in the country, like your Chelsea's, your Manchester cities is, quite a stockpiling of players really and and a, and a lot of loaning them out um i mean some of these clubs even have relationships with other clubs obviously the city group own various different uh, different clubs chelsea have had good relationships in in the netherlands and sending players out to the eredivisie and and things like that would uh, would you like to see a bit more regulation as to how many uh, as to how many players each each club can have on their books because it does seem like as years go on that the talent can get a little bit top heavy at the top end of the uh, top end of the, the 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 Premier League and just to pluck a player out of thin air it seems like the days of Delhi Alley getting 100 games for MK Dons under his belt before actually moving to the Premier League they seem to be getting further and further away those days well, Brexit probably doesn't help, does it, in terms of um, you know, where clubs could go and probably cherry-pick from around Europe and all the rest of it, or across seas and things like that. I suppose now they're looking at more homegrown players. So I suppose that the, the, there's always been a lot of movement. And that's one thing about EPPP, enabled movement you know, for compensation. Mm-hmm. Um, whether, you, whether you could agree, whether it's fair across all levels, from Cap 1 to Cap 4, um, but it certainly... It, it made it very easy for clubs to go and get the best talent. And if you want to call it stockpiling, um, but also probably trying to stop other clubs progressing um, by taking the best talent. Um, you know, it used to be one of my biggest bugbearers, if I'm honest with you. Certainly when I was at the schoolboy programme, you know, I used, to, I used to see like teams like Manchester City taking all these boys, you know, from all the, the, the academies and, and, and almost stockpiling and, you just think, well, they've got more of a progression at our pace. I mean, I remember during, during the period when I was doing the schoolboy programme, you know, the, I, I know for a fact they were trying to get players like Ryan Tullock and you know, there was a couple of others that they were, they, they were, they were desperate to try and, try and get older because ultimately we, we were always competing. Like, you know, in the, remember in the 15s, you know, myself and James, we've got to the, the um, Fridley Cup final, you know, which it's like the, it's like the FA Youth Cup at under 15s, really. Um, be Arsenal in the in the quarter final, and then Chelsea in the in the semi final, Chelsea in the in the in the final, and we had Man City in the in the super final, and you knew they were looking at a lot of our players, and it was almost a case of oh, we can get them, and would it have depleted us our, our program a little bit? Yeah, it would have because effectively that it does deplete your your squads, and but also it stops them having opportunity at the clubs. So if you've got a lad who's doing really really well. You know, in the under-18s programme, you know, let's say he's an under-16 boy, he's doing really, really well in the under-18s programme and he's breaking into the 21s, which we used to have a lot do. We used to have a lot of our players suddenly jump over 16s into the 21s and then they'd be trained with the first team. 
that obviously gets a lot of attention when they're doing well for England or, or international program teams that are playing for as well. You know, that, that brings a lot of attention. And then what starts to happen is you'd end up seeing you know, players either getting plucked to, to go somewhere else. And you, you used to look at it and you used to think, well, they're actually killing their opportunity of playing in the first team here because there's probably more of a pathway here. Um, well, I mean, you you mentioned two earlier in Jerome Sinclair and and Yan Dunder. I mean, you've you've got you've got to believe both of those lads would have got more football if they'd stayed at the Albion because I don't think I don't think either ever played for Liverpool, did they? I think Jerome did. I think Jerome had one or two games, but again, I mean, he he went at fourteen. Um, he probably would have had more games at, at the Albion, just certainly with the way it was. Um, Yan Dunder was another talent. Um, I think he plays for the same team as George Harmon now. Yeah, because because he, he had a loan at Swansea, didn't he? And then uh, yeah. and then he's 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 gone out to Scotland. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, does it? Does it? You know, you look at Jan, you look at Izzy Brown. You know, would he have had more games in an Albion shirt? He did Chelsea shirt. You know, he had he had a lot of loan moves, didn't he? And yeah, a lot a lot of injuries yeah. as well. Of course, is he? He's retired, hasn't he? Last yeah. Year, shirt. So there's. Again, the, the challenge that you have today, Chris, is obviously you know money talks, doesn't it? And mm. if, um, if you know lots, a lot of these players have agents that you know, obviously, have they got the best interest of the player, or have they got the best interest of themselves? Again, uh, you know, some of the, some of the better agents that I I was fortunate enough to come across when I was at, at the club, you know, they they really looked after some of the. The players we spoke about, you know, I know Sam Fields' agent, George Harmon's agent, you know, was always brilliant, you know, in terms of, you know, they had the best interest in the player. So, for example, you'd see them, you know, up at Newcastle on a Saturday morning, they'd travel up to actually go and watch them play. You know, even if they weren't doing great at the time or whatever that was the case, you know, they'd always be there watching them rather than just sort of picking and choosing, you know. So, listen, the the, the way the, the, the industry is now, I mean, agents now have, it was always a challenge, certainly a few years ago, and coming through when I was doing the schoolboy program, you know, you did you did rumours always friend of the family or he's got an agent. You just think, well, does he need an agent for you? Your own agent, really? And you find some of these agents, Chris, they 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 can actually end up hindering and killing the careers, you know, because what they do is they they can poorly advise some of these players. And I'm not saying all of them. I'm just saying, you know, there, there has been cases certainly when I was at the club. That some of them were really poorly advised. I think there was a period when, don't quote me on this, but I'm, I remember, I'm pretty sure Reyes at some point was stopped him playing football for a period because there was a scenario whether he was going to move. Or, or, or yeah, else. he was heavily linked with, I mean, Bayern Munich and all sorts. Mm. Uh, in, in the papers, he was linked with, with, with all these massive clubs Chelsea, Bayern. Uh, the, I mean, anybody, anybody who's had a sniff of Champions League was linked to him, really. Yeah, it can be a distraction. You know, there was the, we had a couple of players that we've mentioned there that you know had a bit of a distraction at younger ages. You know, in terms of you know stalling on signing a, a contracts and stuff like that, and just thinking, well, you haven't really done anything in the game yet, or yeah, you know, it's it, it's it, it's only it's only going to get bigger, and it's certainly with the movement of players now, you know, across all all the different programs and. You just want players focused on playing football at that age, don't you? Yeah, rather than money. But that but that's the thing now. You you've got some some of these some of these people that are advising some of these players, you know, even eighteen year olds, you know, they're, they're, some of the demands that they're they're asking for and they've not really done anything in the game yet. Uh, rather than just focusing on 
being the best version of yourself. And I think that's the one thing I always used to say to all the lads, you know, you you win really is playing in the first team and the rewards will come once you've played yeah. like 50 odd games in the first team. You've actually, you know, you've, you've not done anything yet really until you've done that. And, you know, once you've done that, well, you've then got opportunity because you will get interest, I imagine. You've then got opportunity to sort of ask for, for, for a better deal and, but focus on the football and everything else will take care of itself. But listen, every, everyone, everyone that you'll speak to within the game, you know, there's stories of players' careers being, let's say, destroyed, but poorly advised. And yeah, taking the wrong path. Yeah. And you always just think to yourself, well, what, what might it have been if they'd actually stayed at the club? But then on the flip side of it is, you haven't got crystal ball. And actually, for some of these players that do, do move to these these other clubs for for money. It, it, it's life changing. Yeah. So well, I mean, I mean, look at look at Nathan Ferguson, mate. I mean, he's had he's had three years of Premier League money, but I mean, he wouldn't have, he, uh, more than he would have been on at the Albion, but he wouldn't have played any more games because he's been injured the whole time. So you know, I mean, he's had the secure he's had the security of that contract for three years, and I suppose as you say, that's the that's the difficult balancing act between the two of them because. You know, you're. I suppose even even at seventeen, eighteen, you're only you're only one crazy tackle from someone away from never earning another penny out the game. Uh, so it's difficult, isn't it? Well, you've also got to look at. You don't know what the home life's like, you know. Yeah. So certainly, certainly a lot of the players we used to work with. You know, you you talk about inner city Birmingham. You know that some of them, I mean, the cost of living today. You know, it's yeah, yeah. That some some of them, it, it is life changing for the family. Yeah. Would you begrudge them? You know, we always used to have this debate, all the, all the staff, you know, we always used to have this debate. Well, what, what would you do, you know, if you were putting, yeah. that, if you were putting in that shoes? Also, what would you do if you are a staff member that, that's, you know, got life-changing money? What would you do? And I yeah. suppose if you actually put in that position or if your kid's put in that position, it, it's hard really to judge, I think. But don't get me wrong, it used to frustrate us when we'd, we'd work so hard to develop these players and there's suddenly that. Uh, a club like Liverpool or Chelsea or Man City would come and just move them on and you know you think well I've invested so much time in that player and that parent but then on the flip side you know, the, the club the club are getting some sort of money back in which would then go back into the club into the academy and stuff like that so it, it keeps everybody in the job does it I suppose for a, for a few more years and but yeah it's, it, it's only it's only is it going to get worse I don't know Possibly there's going to be more homegrown players that, that are going to be having to sort of you know, stay, stay, stay in squads and stuff like that because because of all the Brexit stuff. I, just to finish off, Mike, um, how do you reflect on your time at the Albion? Because, uh, I mean, it, it, you know, you've obviously had a great deal of success, both with players coming through, the Youth Cup run, all these sorts of things. Um and and it's come across very clearly in the last. I mean, we've been talking for about an hour and a half now that um, that, that that you've still you know still got a lot of lot of love and affection for the club as as you would expect for somewhere that you worked for twelve years. Um, is 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 the overriding sort of emotion when you re- reflect on your time at the Albion as we have done during this pod? Is is the overriding emotion pride? Oh, I think it was a real special period of everybody's life. Um, yeah. You know, there's been a, there's been a, it's been, it was a big part of my football life in terms of you know being my first first job in football full time. Um, it certainly you know I wouldn't be where I am now and had the experiences that I've had now and be fortunate to have all these experiences 
Um, even though it's a bit of a running joke now that I've worked in nearly every single football club in the Midlands, um, <laughs> which, I, which I which I have. Um, but it's kind of, um, I suppose, the experiences that and the, and the people that you you were connected with and you met, and, and there's still people that you, you stay connected to now and you lean on and speak to. And so I suppose the relationships that you built as staff, the relationships that you built as players, you know, you see a lot of players now that are in, in and around, you know, the football, the football industry and football leagues and stuff. And you, you, you have a sense of pride seeing that you, you've played a little part in their, in their journey. Yeah, you do, you know, because ultimately our job was to try and give them an opportunity and a, a career in football and fulfil their passion and, and dream. You know, just likewise with the staff, you know, all of us, all of us have probably come through that 12-year period. We've all achieved aspirations, whether that's courses, whether that's roles, whether that's, you know, the careers that we've had. You know, we, we all had we all had a, a sort of um, a goal, just like the players did. So, you know, it was a real special period, really, in terms of a um, fortunate period to be part of. Um, as I say, it, it, it's really it's really helped shape who we are and, and the careers that we've we've continued to go on and have and, and will for many years really because it, it did make you a real grounded grounded um person through the experiences that you had there amazing mate and it's just been amazing reliving it over the last 90 minutes or so with you so thank you very much uh for your time today that's all from albion analysis for today uh we will be back with another episode very very soon as i've said before they're quite ad hoc this time of year but um I'm sure whether it be incomings or more likely outgoings at the football club, we will have something quite pertinent to talk about in the near future. So please join us then. But for today, my thanks again to Mike Scott for joining us. Mike, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to come on and share those experiences. Albion have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with a McNugget share box? Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver-assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.